Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Good morning, Epiphany. It is good to be with you for another Sunday service on our Cross and Corona podcast. It's Memorial Day weekend, and I hope you and your families are staying cool, cooking out, and staying well and healthy. I'll preface today's service with this note. The the Vestry met this past Wednesday to discuss the many logistics involved in our returning to meet together in person. And we are working through a number of logistical challenges and ministry opportunities right now, and so I actually don't have any updates for you this week. In fact, when you receive that news, it will probably come in the form of one of our church emails instead of a Sunday service. That way the information is there for you to read and reflect on as opposed to simply listening to the same part of a podcast over and over again. Uh, So what can you expect this week? We're continuing in our Gospel According to Genesis sermon series. A number of familiar Epiphany voices are back this week to assist with our readings. There's some announcements at the end of the service too. So let's begin our service of socially distanced worship together now. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Good morning. Hello, friends. This is Bea Sweeney, reading Confession and Pardon. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent. According to your promises, declare to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, Epiphany. This is Marilyn Couch, and I will be reading from Psalm 68, verses 1 through 10. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him also flee before him. As the smoke vanishes, so shall you drive them away. And as wax melts before the fire, so let the ungodly perish before the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. Let them also be merry and joyful. O sing unto God and sing praises unto his name. Magnify him who rides upon the heavens The Lord is his name. Rejoice before him. He is a father of the fatherless and defends the cause of the widows, God in his holy habitation. He is the God who gives the solitary a home and brings the prisoners 
out of captivity, but lets the rebellious dwell in a desert land. O God, when you went forth before the people, when you went through the wilderness, the earth shook and the heavens poured forth rain at the presence of God. Even as Sinai also was moved at the presence of God, who is the God of Israel? You, O God, sent a gracious rain upon your inheritance and refreshed the land when it was weary. Your congregation found a dwelling there, for you, O God, of your goodness have provided for the poor. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is well this Sunday morning. I certainly do miss seeing all of your smiling faces. This morning I'm reading a selection from Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Noah had three, three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence, and through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kind, and of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food, every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded in him. I think this is certainly the word of God. Have a wonderful Sunday. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You'll remember that Beth and I moved into our current house last May, so really just about a year ago. And the past year was spent working kind of on the inside of our house. We tore out some carpet, we put in some new light fixtures, got some plumbing work done, did a lot of painting. And this year before the virus hit, our plan was to work on the outside of our house. And I started actually working on a garden area in the backyard early in April when the virus hit and the weather got a little more navigable. But I'm sad to say, um, last weekend, the one before our own Memorial Day weekend, I made a decision to give up on the garden. 
Uh, it was left untended for a number of years by the previous owners, and it, it basically it's just a pit of dandelions right now. There's 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 dandelions, and that's that's ninety percent of it. And despite my best efforts to root out the worst of the weeds and prep for veggies and flowers, a few weeks of rain and cold weather kept me inside. Also, I have a, a six-month-old baby, so you know I don't have a whole lot of free time. And we just had a late frost or two, so my expectations were definitely low. But when I went out to go work on my garden last weekend, I, I just gave up. I pulled out the dandelion killer with the in intention of, of spraying the whole thing down and just starting from scratch next year. I wanted to sort of wipe the slate clean. I wanted to give the ground a good tilling and just let it lie fallow for a season until I can really give it the time that it needs. And I was really bummed too. I had planted some veggies earlier on in my garden this year, and I might still get a couple of things out of it, but you know, there was a lot of time and energy that I put into that garden, and so I'm really sad to see it take a turn for the worst. And I'm really sad to have to kind of tear it all down and start over. I imagine we all have projects like this. We all have plants that we would like to have hemmed and fixed, but we just threw them out. Um, the new kitchen gadget that, you know, we purchased in eager anticipation of culinary adventures. Maybe we've just thrown it in the Goodwill box. Um, maybe you have a power tool you thought would make your life easier, but now it's up for sale on Craigslist. Or there's the treadmill that you gave away. Maybe you did this Marie Kondo thing during quarantine and you got organized and you got wanted to get rid of a whole bunch of things in your life that didn't spark joy anymore. Um, and I want us to consider that feeling. The feeling of sort of giving something up and being done with the thing. To abandon a project and just sort of cut your losses. As we look at our reading today from Genesis chapter 6. Um, when we're talking about our own garden, or when we're talking about our fitness equipment or our kitchen gadgets, um, it doesn't really mean anything to cut our losses and move on, right? But it is a deep and earth-shaking terror when the God of the universe, all-powerful and all-creating, considers writing us off and moving on. And I want us to sort of go through over the next three weeks in our series here, I want to start today, over the next three weeks, I want us to go through um, this idea of what it might look like for God to just end his whole creation and start over from scratch or just leave it be and be done with it. And I want us to stay with this heavy feeling for the next two weeks um, because I think what we're going to find is that by exploring this heavy feeling, um, we're going to recognize just how much the love of God actually matters. And so in our sermon series this week on the gospel according to Genesis, um, when we do a sermon series, it's good to recap where we've been to help us get where we're going. And so we started a couple of weeks ago in the beginning, right? The beginning of the Bible, the beginning of time, the beginning of all creation. Um, God created everything. That's what happened in the beginning. And he created it all to be very good. The plants and the animals and oceans and space and stars and bugs and mountains and humankind. But the original humans, Adam and Eve, they attempted a coup against God through the forbidden fruit. And things spiraled out of control after that. Some profoundly terrible things begin to happen in God's very good creation. Um, almost immediately from this, this rebellion of the forbidden fruit, you have shame, and you have blame, and you have a futile toil. Our work, the work that we are doing, no longer has sort of great fulfilling purpose. And uh, the eternal strife that men and women have had since 
almost the very beginning comes forward. And there's the pain of childbirth. And all of these things weren't supposed to be part of how the world works. And yet here they are. And uh, Adam and Eve have two children. Um, even after their, their coup and they're removed from the garden, Adam and Eve have two children. And one of them ends up murdering the other out of jealousy. And while humans do create good things like music and, and metalworking, they also embrace misogyny and pride and violence. And as we come to our reading in Genesis 6, um, this bit we've skipped over in the book of Genesis right so far, Genesis chapter 5, it outlines the descendants of Adam and Eve. There's a word for this time um, that people use, you know, it's antediluvian. It's a fancy word that means before the flood, when things in the world seem very different than ours. And these were antediluvian families primordial families with lifespans that last hundreds of years, uh, six, seven, eight times what you and, li- you and I are likely to live and, and, and be. And uh, we don't know much about this generation that's outlined in Genesis chapter 5, save maybe a line or two of bibliographic context. And as Genesis 6, uh, excuse me, as Genesis 5 finishes, we are given a transition into our next Bible story. Um, because the 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 genealogy of Genesis chapter 5 ends with a man named Noah. And when we get to Noah, as we shift from Genesis 5 to chapter 6, um, we are given a dark pronouncement about the state of the world. Humankind has multiplied. They are doing what they intended to do back in Genesis 2, be fruitful and multiply. But in their multiplication, that violence and darkness that marked the previous generations has multiplied too. And so here's uh, what we read today in Genesis chapter 6, which what Mike Hauser read for us. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. In this, if this text, you know, if it wasn't so scary, if it, what, you know, humankind getting blotted out, um, we might have had some sympathy with God. Uh, If it wasn't about sort of the annihilation of the human creature, we might have understood and had some, uh, come to God with a place of understanding because he created a universe which was very good. He had grandiose intentions to be in relationship with humanity. But after the forbidden fruit rebellion and everything falling apart from Adam and Eve, and it just sort of spins out of control for seven generations of humans. And remember, these humans are living for hundreds of years at a time. So this is a very long time span that God is watching things spin out of control. You can see why God might entertain the idea of just giving up on this whole project just like I gave up on my garden with all those dandelions. But as God is contemplating how to wipe the slate clean, we read that there is one descendant of Adam who catches God's eye. The text tells us this, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
In the Old Testament, the words righteous and blameless mean something a little different than the New Testament. In the New Testament, you see, St. Paul is going to say things like, there's none righteous, no, not one. And what he means by that is there is no human being um, good enough to merit God's love on their own, of their own doing and of their own accord. Okay? But in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, when the biblicals talk about righteous and blameless, those are our, our synonyms for kind of upstanding, not a sign of moral perfection. Right? This is something we run into in the book of Psalms. So when the psalmist says, you know, um, I am blameless in your sight, it's not that the psalmist is morally perfect, but you know, he's followed God's commandments to the best of his ability. He's made appropriate amends when he's done wrong. And he really does with genuine care want to follow God in a serious way. And so you'll remember last week after we read of the murder of Abel, God blesses Adam and Eve with Seth. A, a child who is not a replacement necessary, but a consolation for the death of Abel. And you'll remember we talked about this week that the descendants of Seth are the ones who worship God and, to quote our reading last week, call upon his name. The picture that we're meant to see here is that God is so frustrated with how the world has turned out that he wants to sort of wipe the whole slate clean and start over. But there is one person one faithful child of Adam, one devoted son of Seth, who might be worth saving. Why? Um, Why is this person, uh, why might he be worth saving? Because he's the only person in the whole world whose heart was not focused on evil continuously. Because, as the text says, he walked with God. He sought to have and be in relationship with God, just like Adam had walked in the garden with God. We actually have someone in this time frame that is otherwise demarcated by violence and brutality and and, and all sorts of wickedness and evil. We have one person who sought a relationship with God, and that was Noah. And, And so the text tells us Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Not that he earned it, not that he achieved it, but he found it as if it was a thing that was lost and discovered, or else as it was a thing that existed apart from him that he just stumbled upon. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so what does God do? God's still going to start over here. But he says, you know what? I can work with this. I can start over with Noah and the family. And so he gives Noah, the one person left on the planet with any sense of correct behavior, he gives Noah an advanced copy of his plans. Noah, there's a flood coming. If you want to survive, here's how you do it. Here's how to make your boat, 300 by 50 by 30 cubits. Go for wooden pitch, three levels. Um, pitch, right? Um, secure it with provisions, enough food for you and your family. And then we'll get all the animals together. Don't forget provisions for them too. The flood's coming and you're going to be okay but you got to build the ark and we got to get this other stuff squared away. And our reading today ends with this very profound statement. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Which is odd, right? You know, um, we don't know exactly where God is, excuse me, we don't know exactly where Noah is when he builds his massive ark, but we know where it lands and settles, right? Mount Ararat. We don't know where he starts from. But a lot of commentators and a lot of folks recognize that if you, regardless of where you are, 
If you're building a massive arc in the middle of somewhere that's not a shipyard, in this landlocked area, and you tell people, it's because I had a word from God that there's going to be a massive flood and I need to sort of put all the seeds and animals and, and grain and, and we're going to survive. I mean, you would think that's crazy, right? Like if somebody did that today, you know, everyone thinks, everyone would think they're a weirdo for doing it. You know, I, a couple of uh, months ago, I mentioned uh, in, in our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, God's Ark of Safety off of Interstate 68, um, right outside of Cumberland, Maryland, west of Cumberland, the large ark that they're trying to build, but they're making it out of steel, which again, you're supposed to make it out of gopher wood if you want to make a real ark. But I'm being facetious here to say that a lot of people think that's very silly. And, um, you know, maybe you saw the 2014 movie, uh, Noah, which was directed by Darren Aronofsky. Um, directed by Aronofsky, and it had Russell Crowe and Emma Watson and these large CGI stone giants, which are supposed to be fallen angels. You know, like, just don't look at it too hard. But, you know, where Noah is building that ark is this landlocked area, and everyone thinks he's a weirdo and crazy for doing it, until the rain starts. <laughs> and they all try to flee into the ark. And, of course, in that movie, the, the giant stone giants, fallen angels... Um, they're there to protect the Ark and there's a big CGI battle. I mean, it's Hollywood. So, you know, that's not in the Bible. So don't, don't take it, take it with a grain of salt. But the task of building this massive boat and collecting all the animals and the provisions, it was certainly a tall order. In fact, the author of the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, um, has this to say about the construction of the Ark. Okay. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so there's this deeply profound trust at work in Noah right now in the book of Genesis. And the author of Hebrews breaks it down into three parts, right? He says he believes in God, he condemned the world, and in doing so, he becomes an heir. And the point that Hebrews is trying to make here, that the, the, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, wants to make here, is that Noah's faith is not wholly different from our own. Now, the circumstances in which it takes place are remarkably different, that's for sure, but the faith is the same. From the very beginning, we see that faith is what saves. What saves Noah, according to the author of Hebrews, is, is not the act of building the ark. It's not Noah being a good person before the ark is built. What saves Noah is that he trusted God's prediction, that God's prediction would come true, right? Um, what does Hebrews say? Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. That, that Noah received a direct message from God about the nature of the future, about judgment, about wrath, and was given this sort of wild and unpopular and weird task to do, but he did it anyway because he believed God and took him at his word. The text goes on to say, in building the ark, that that Noah, he was also condemning the world. Now, what is meant by this is that Noah valued the things of this world as 
nothing compared to a relationship with God. The world of Noah's day, you'll, you'll remember, was marked by violence and wickedness. And remember what God had said, right? Every intention of the thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil, continually. And you know, Noah turned away from that, which is quite remarkable, because it meant putting his family and his life at odds with the culture around them. And so as a result, Noah constructed an ark which led to, quote, the savings of his the saving of his household. Trust the promise of God. Forsake the ways of the world, and you will be saved. That's how it was for Noah. And it's no different in Genesis 6 than it is now. Friends, we're in week 10 of our pandemic season together. It can certainly feel like we're stuck in our own arcs as Noah is with his family, you know, stuck on an ark for 40 days and 40 nights in our own houses. But the questions that Noah faced are the same. Do you believe God when he says that this world is defined more by the things that are wrong as opposed to the things that are right? Do you believe him? Um, Can you trust God enough to do things differently than the family and culture and workplace or neighborhood that you belong to? Says the author of Hebrews, and saith God to Noah, that's all you need to be saved. So it's been a week since I wrote off my garden, right? I I went last weekend and just said, forget it. I'm done. I'm not even going to mess with it anymore. Well, I went back out to my garden um, yesterday and um, I I had the container of herbicide uh, ready to go and I attached my garden hose to it and I gave the garden one last look down before I started spraying. And in one corner, and I had totally missed it, right? In one corner, I saw the leafy greens sprouting where I had planted some broccoli earlier this year. And I went over to double check my raised bed and I looked and I saw a handful of the potato vines I had planted starting to flower. And the one patch of rhubarb that was left behind by the previous owners was actually about ready to harvest. So, you know, maybe, maybe seeing as there's something growing in these odd little places, maybe I won't tear up the whole garden and start from scratch. Uh, Between the foot tall dandelions and the ragweed and the other plants I don't recognize, I think there may be something worth saving from this year's garden. Don't get me wrong, I'm still sprayed most of it down with herbicide, but I didn't spray all of it. I tell you these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good morning. This is Candy Springer. Please join me as we say the Apostles' Creed and Lord's Prayer. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Greetings from the other side of the mountain. This is Marge Moyer, and I have the prayers of the people. Here's the collect of the day. O God, the King of glory, you have exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior, Christ, has gone before, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. A prayer for Memorial Day. O King and Judge of the Nations, we remember before you with grateful hearts the men and women of our armed forces who in the day of decision ventured much for the liberties we now enjoy. Grant that we may not rest until all the people of this land share the benefits of true freedom and gladly accept its disciplines through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns now and forever. We remember those today on Epiphany's prayer list, Rich Wilson's mother, Ligonier Camp and Conference Center, Pine Springs Camp, Valley Youth Network, Marilyn Couch's daughter, Heather, my sister, Susan, Wendy Lint's son, Scott, Beth Gerald's friend, Danielle, and those among us who have asked for anonymous prayer. We remember also the prayer requests shared at Epiphany's check-in groups this week. Almighty God, we entrust all who are dear to us, especially those on our church prayer list, to your never-failing care and love for this life and the life to come, knowing that you are doing for them better things than we can desire or pray for. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A prayer for mission. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name, amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. As we close our service together, a couple of quick notes for the good of our church. Our check-in groups will be continuing this week, so mark your calendars to join us on Zoom at 3 p.m. on Tuesdays and at 7 p.m. on Thursdays. Also, our egg sale continues in the church office garage 
around back at 314 East Main Street. And a quick note that our gracious egg providers have asked that we take eggs from the top of the shelf first in the refrigerator to help them keep track of which eggs have been there the longest. Finally, I want to ask for a special prayer request. Please pray for the Vestry and I as we work to solidify the final pieces of our yellow light plan together. Say a prayer of thanks that the Bethlehem communities, our gracious hosts and ministry, have reached a COVID-19 free status. Uh, remember also our elected officials and public health officials. And of course, I'm the pastor, so I can say this selfishly, to remember me in your prayer too. Um, as we continue to work through this transition about how we're going to meet in yellow light mode, the challenges we are working to overcome to meet, again, are, are, are many, frankly, but the opportunities linked to those challenges are vast. And I think if we can do this right and we can do it well, we're going to see something really great happen amongst us here at Epiphany. If we were meeting together in person, we would be observing the Ascension in our church calendars, the Feast of the Ascension. And it's fitting to remember that in all of our comings and goings during this virus season, Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, advocating for our success, pleading for our cause, and granting us mercy. And so I'll close with the prayer for our Ascension Sunday and a blessing. O God, the King of glory, you have exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior Christ has gone before, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. And now to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you always. Amen. Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.